Daniel 3, um, the image of gold and the blazing furnace. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all of the uh, all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May your king live, the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you, whom you have sent over the affairs of provenance, provenance of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your God nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If 
we are thrown into the blazing furnace. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. And he will deliver us. From your majesty's hand. From your majesty's hand. But even if he does not. But even if he does not. We want you to know your majesty. We want you to know your majesty. That we will not serve your gods. That we will not serve your gods. Or worship the image of God. Or worship the image of God you ever set up. Set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Brilliant. Thank you very much to the Byrne family for doing that. Isn't it uh, great to bring a familiar story uh, to life in, in that way? It is a, a familiar story, this one, I guess, to many of us. It's one of those that, along with uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den that we'll read about in a few weeks' time, kind of makes the cut in the children's Bibles. Um, but it's not surprising. It's, it's an amazing story. Uh, it's an amazing story of God's rescue. It captures our imaginations. Uh, it amazes us how God can rescue uh, people like that with not a mark on, it, on them. And it encourages us, as we read it today, to keep going. 
Uh, keep going no matter what else is going on in the world around us. So if you've got a Bible there in front of you, uh, do keep it open because we don't want to assume uh, we know what this says. Let's have a look at it together and let's pray as we do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this, uh, your words to us, uh, and we pray this morning uh, as we come to look at it that we would see again you're a God who rescues, uh, and that would encourage us to keep following you. Amen. Now, if you remember where we've been over the last couple of weeks, uh, Daniel 3 comes with the backdrop of God's people being taken off into exile. So they are now a minority in a majority culture, uh, as we saw in Daniel chapter 1. And then last week, Nebuchadnezzar had a a dream which set up two types of kingdom. There are earthly kingdoms, uh, and there are God's, there's God's kingdom. And all earthly kingdoms are going to fail and fall away. Only God's kingdom will last. Uh, but as Sarah said, King Nebuchadnezzar can't have really got that dream. Because as we begin chapter 3 of Daniel, he's setting up this huge gold statue. Six and a half double-decker buses, as we saw uh, on the screen earlier. Now, we're not told what this is a statue of. Uh, it, it's clear it's man-made. Uh, it could be an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. It could be an image of a Babylonian god. It, it kind of doesn't matter what it's of is that it, what it represents. It represents a, a man-made, an earthly kingdom. So it's a king and a kingdom that's not God's. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, placed this uh, man-made statue in a prominent position in the country. And you kind of imagine the sun bouncing off the gold. You know, it would be pretty hard to miss. But it wasn't just its awe-inspiring looks Whenever people heard music, they were to bow down and worship the statue. And the severe consequence if they didn't, verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship would immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Here's a statue uh, that is the center of people's attentions. It is the center of their attention visually, with its size and what it's made of, and its center of their attention religiously. And so it's going to raise a question for God's people. Whose kingdom has your loyalty? Whose kingdom has your loyalty? Because here God's people are. They're they're the minority in a majority culture. Uh, And they can see the giant statue. They've heard the decree. Uh, And as they're waiting for that music to play for the first time, what are they going to do? Are they going to bow down and worship the statue? Or are they going to follow God's second commandment? You shall not bow down to statues or idols. Uh, Are they going to worship something man-made, or are they going to worship God? Now, I don't know if you've been in a situation where you're the odd one out in a group. You know, there's perhaps the group are putting pressure on you to conform. Maybe you've had that at school or in the workplace or something to some extent. But imagine if a whole culture around you is like that. Uh, I've just finished uh, reading this book. Uh, it's called We Died Before We Came Here uh, by Emily Foreman. It's a biography of how uh, her family moved uh, to North Africa um, as missionaries. Now, the country they went to, it was a closed country. Um, 
So a majority Muslim country, they, it wasn't illegal to be a Christian, uh, but it was illegal to convert someone to Christianity. Uh, and she explains in the book how things like uh, they never needed an alarm clock because the morning call to prayer would always wake them up. Um, she talks about how uh, the culture was completely intertwined with the uh, Muslim faith. But they wanted to build friendships. They wanted to fit in as much as they could. Uh, and yet they also wanted to be open about their Christian faith. Now that is not as easy as it sounds when everyone around you is doing something different. That is a modern example of that. And some people, I know, may have experienced that uh, for themselves, perhaps when they visited a different country, or or perhaps you're from a country where it's like that. That that pressure to conform to what everyone else does comes from the whole culture around you. And that's the sort of situation that God's people are in here in Daniel chapter 3. They're surrounded by people who are following Nebuchadnezzar's rules. And they're all tied into the culture that's around them. I mean, I guess a fiery furnace also helps to bring people along a bit, or threatens to bring people along. And so imagine being there. The music plays for the first time. What are you going to do? The easy, the safe option, copy everyone else. Let's bow down and worship the statue. But as the music began... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their stomachs probably uh, twisting with nerves. Their, their minds weighing up the different options are probably completely a blur. They look at each other. And they know exactly what they're going to do. They stood. They decided whose kingdom has their loyalty. It's God's. That they're happy to uh, as much as they can to fit in. But once asked to contradict God's commandments, then they're going to make their stand. And, and literally make their stand. And so this is reported to the king if we look at verse 9. Uh, they said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now Nebuchadnezzar hears this, and he flies off into a rage. Uh, Bring those people to me. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought near to the king. Probably their their stomachs are still just as much in knots. Their their minds are still a blur. Uh, And King Nebuchadnezzar is clear. When you hear the music, bow down to the statue. If you don't, you're in the fiery furnace. And again, uh, the pressure is on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Whose kingdom will they remain loyal to now? They've, they've got in front of them the most powerful king in the world at that time. Uh, I imagine he's, he's surrounded by armed guards uh, and wise advisors. And so the pressure for them to, conf- uh, to conform to this guy, well, it's only just bowing down to a statue, surely. I mean, we can... Just please the king a bit. 
But that's not how they think. See, they, they put aside that, that uh, pressure to uh, please people. They, they put aside their own personal safety. And they say, God's kingdom has our loyalty no matter what the consequences. Look at verse 16, those verses that Sarah read earlier. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It is a truly amazing response. Just three sentences, and yet in three sentences they, they proclaim that God is judge in verse 16, he's rescuer in verse 17, and he's unique in verse 18. And so they have absolute full confidence that he can deliver. And yet, at the same time, they accept he may choose not to. But that's fine, because their loyalty is with him. And it's the same attitude that that family had uh, in this book, We Die Before We Came Here. They decide they're going to be loyal uh, to God's kingdom, even though they're in the minority. And so they spoke to people about Jesus. Uh, They shared his love. And it had a huge impact uh, on where they were, from the, from the poorest people to government officials. In fact, read the book. Uh, it's worth finding out more. But what drove them was that trust in God and his ability to deliver them. And that means they would remain loyal to him no matter what the cost. And I can give this away because it's on the first page of the book. It cost one of them their lives. And yet, despite those fires that they faced for themselves, they didn't change. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their loyalty to God's kingdom drove them to stand firm in faith. So do we have such a faith in God that we'd remain loyal to him no matter what the cost? Do we have a faith in God that we will remain loyal to him no matter what the cost? Now, I hope uh, we never face choosing between loyalty to God and death, but there may be other ways that our loyalty is tested. As I say, perhaps you're from a country uh, where the government is more restrictive on Christianity, or, or if you go back there, you will be in the minority as a Christian, and you feel the pressure to conform. Perhaps uh, it's telling someone at school you're a Christian, obviously when you're at school. Perhaps it's speaking God's word uh, into one of the hot topics of the day. Perhaps it's inviting someone to become a Christian. Now, hopefully I say these things won't ever bring us death, but they may bring rejection. They, they may bring ridicule. Uh, who knows our kingdom change Uh, sorry, as our culture changes in the future. Maybe they might mean losing a job or even imprisonment. When we're under that kind of pressure, whose kingdom will we be loyal to? To earthly kingdoms or to God's kingdom? 
Now, I think that's a kind of challenge that doesn't really appear in our children's Bible, does it? But the fact is, however much we're British or Irish or Austrian or Chinese or Korean or Nigerian uh, or Bayesian or whatever it is, wherever it is you're from, if we're Christians, we're first citizens of heaven. Do you remember back in, in Philippians that we looked at last term? Philippians 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heavenly system, that's, that's our, our first, that's our ultimate loyalty. And did you see? It's good reason. We're awaiting Jesus' return from there. Uh, waiting to see uh, God's rescue in all its glorious wonder. And that's the motivation to remain loyal to God's kingdom to the end, no matter what. And that's what we see in the second half of Daniel chapter 3. We see that God rescues. God rescues. You see, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, after their refusal to obey the king's command, uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes hopping mad. He orders uh, the furnace turned up several gas masks, so it's seven times hotter. He, he points at the guards with the biggest biceps to tie these guys up, and then he gets them thrown in to the fiery furnace. Verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Even the guys throwing them in there didn't survive the heat. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar surely thought that this was instant death for these three disobedient people. But as he looks in, verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. And asked his survivors, uh, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of God. The men aren't dead. In fact, there's a a fourth person with them, someone who looks like a son of God. Uh, And so it's now Nebuchadnezzar's turn for his stomach to turn into knots. His mind to go a blur. Come out, he cries. And out walk Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people who'd gone into a fire bound up. Uh, And everyone gathers around to have a look look at them. and, And there's nothing wrong with them. The fire's not even touched them. See, just as they said he could, God has rescued them. God has protected and delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fire so hot it killed the people throwing them in there. He's delivered them with the help of someone that even uh, King Nebuchadnezzar could recognize was heavenly. God was with them in the fire. He's delivered them through fire. I mean, God could have uh, prevented them even going into the furnace, but he didn't. They had to go in. It demonstrated their faith, but even more so, it demonstrated God's ability to rescue. He is with them through it. And so God delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get loyalty as well. Do you see that right at the end? They get royal reward for their loyalty to God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. 
What a turnaround for these guys. Now, they look like they're being martyred for their faith, but God rescued them. And it's not the only turnaround in this story as well. Did you see Nebuchadnezzar's change? He, he, was, he changed from rage to praise. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and rescued his servants. They trust in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their gods. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other gods can save in this way. Now we'll hear more next week about how God worked in King Nebuchadnezzar. But can you see, even there, even there, the, God's deliverance impacts people. Impacts the most powerful person around. See, when it comes to uh, that comparison of earthly kingdom and God's kingdom, only God's kingdom will last. Only God truly reveals, truly rescues, truly rules. And it's the same God of Daniel's day that is our God today. God still rescues. He rescues anyone who puts their loyalty in Jesus. And he changes them from rage to praise. And that's a costly rescue for God. It's costly to rescue people like you and me, people who don't deserve that rescue. God had to send his one and only, his beloved son to earth uh, to die. But as Jesus hung on that cross, he was performing the greatest of all rescues. He was taking guilt, shame, wrath that we deserved. And he was replacing them with love and a passport to heaven. It's a costly rescue. So it's a costly loyalty that it calls for. See, we'll go, as Christians, we'll still have fires of this life to navigate. We'll go through difficult situations that will uh, test our loyalty to God. But God is with us through them. And one day, one day we'll see that loyalty is completely and utterly, totally worth it. Because we'll see our full and final deliverance from all the fires of this life. See, on that day, we'll no longer be the minority. We'll be the only people around God's throne, gathered, singing praise and worship to him, and to Jesus, who's the one who's made that rescue possible. That's what we've got to look forward to. So keep going in your loyalty to Jesus. Keep going in your loyalty to the God who rescues, no matter what the cost, even if you feel in the minority, because it's worth it. It's worth it because that loyalty will be rewarded when our faith is turned to sight. And so we too can exclaim, no other God can save in this way. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who rescues us.
You rescue us even though we don't deserve it because of the Lord Jesus. And as we see that great rescue, as we see where that great rescue leads, uh, with us gathered around your throne, worshipping you, help us to remain loyal until that day where we see you face to face. Help us to put our trust in you, even if we feel in the minority, even if we feel downhearted, even if we uh, feel uh, like it could be costly. Keep our faith strong by your Spirit and help us to worship the Lord Jesus. Amen.